Welcome to part three of my conversation with Pulitzer Prize-winning photographer, David Kinnerly. In this episode of my conversation with David, we will talk about some of the work he's done with our nation's political leaders. It leads me to think, is partisanship the problem or is it just the fact that people lie with abandon and don't know how to get along anymore? You'll decide for yourself. In the meantime, here's my conversation with David. Don't forget to go to my website, tanyaakershow.com, so you can see uh, our interview and see David's great work. Here we are, part three, my conversation with David Kennerly. You took what I think has now become an iconic photo of Mrs. Obama giving President George W. Bush a big hug. It was taken at the opening of the Smithsonian African-American Museum. I felt like it was really a tonic. I mean, here we have a Republican president and a very warm and fuzzy moment with a Democratic first lady. Um, it felt medicinal. Do you know when you've captured something great? Do you have a sense of it in the moment or do you look, is it afterward, after you kind of look at what you shot for the day? Well, in this case, I prayed that I got that picture because one of the things about being a, a, a professional photographer is it, like when you go to a football game to do whatever, you're not there to have a good time. You're there to get the photographs that uh, uh, people say, um, God, it's great. You get to go do all that stuff. But you're so focused on, on uh, literally, uh, tr trying to get the moment, whatever the moment is, if it happens. And so this is the perfect example when the Obamas, with President and Mrs. Obama came out, uh, uh, former President Bush and Mrs. Bush were there. And he was there because he's the one that signed the, the, the law of creating the African-American Museum. And not only that, he was the one that pushed having it on the, on the mall. That's like sacred territory. Uh, uh, I think the World War II monument, after much uh, uh, effort, was put on the mall. But so this museum was directly attributed to, to him, and the Obamas were really appreciative of that. Plus, they got on fine. And she came out, and who knew that that was going to happen? But uh, she came and gave him. It was actually a quick hug. And if you look at the video of it, um, it just didn't last very long. So this picture actually probably is warmer and fuzzier than it really was, but it really did happen, of course. And uh, his eyes were just closed momentarily. It's not like a long blissful. <laughs> <It wasn't. laughs> if you see it, you go, that wasn't that yeah, great, no, actually. Right. <laughs> there are many things about this picture that are kind of like, that work. Uh, one he has his eyes closed. Normally, if somebody's eyes closed, you go, oh, damn, I can't use that picture, right? And uh, But this one looks like he, he's enjoying the moment, uh, which he, he was. And uh, on the right-hand side of the frame is Barack Obama walking up. And he has his, his tongue like kind of like that <laughs> in that moment. And then uh, and Mrs. Bush is over on the left-hand side. And because I had a narrow lane... Almost every other picture except one or two, uh, there's some element of someone else in the photo, so it wasn't a clean shot like this. So all these things kind of stack up to make that photo. On top of that, uh, there's probably more information you need, but 
uh, and I agree with you, it's a, a, a black person, a white person, a, a Republican, a Democrat, a man, a woman. Every element is in this photograph, really. This picture makes me really happy, by the way, because I, I like both those people. But um, uh, but the other thing it did was I put it on my Facebook page, and I think I got like a half a million likes. And so that led to impressing my boys who uh, called me and said, my God, you have a viral photo. I mean, it's like, finally, dad has become relevant, you know. <laughs> so, but uh, uh, I think it did, you know, part of the reason I think it went viral is that it appeared at a time when we're so divided. I mean, totally right. you know, we've got such a, uh, there's partisan division, there's division really across every line. Uh, you Here's Michelle Obama, whose husband followed President Bush, we were at a moment in time where we needed to see that folks on opposite sides of the aisle can come together in a shared celebration. And that, that's what this was. That's right. And also, um, but between them, this is not an uncomfortable thing. I mean, it wasn't like a show, like I'm going to, they actually like each other. And <clears throat> when you look back at the, the Clintons and the Bushes and Mrs. Uh, uh, Barbara Bush, uh, referred to Bill Clinton as the black sheep of their family. And, and really some good humor there and people who were political enemies. And, and that's what I went through with President Ford, who spent his whole career on the minority side of the aisle uh, as a Republican in a Democratic Congress. And uh, so I've seen the best of these people. I've never seen it as bad as it is today. I, I love young people saying, well, I've never seen anything this bad. That's why we need you. We right, need you right. to show us In the history. In my experience. So, <laughs> <laughs> you have photographed every American president since LBJ. Uh, I love these photographs you have when you get a bunch of them all together in the room. Um, I'm showing one right now at uh, President Obama's inaugural. They're all in the Oval Office. We've got President Carter, President Clinton, President George W. Bush, and President H. W. Bush, uh, George Herbert Walker Bush. Um, and then let's go to the next slide. Then we've got an earlier shot uh, of Presidents Nixon, Ford, Carter, Reagan, and H., uh, George H. W. Bush. Uh, what do they talk about when they're all in the room together? What's the small talk? What's the chat? Hey, I want, I want I to stand on the side of the camera. <laughs> no, I don't know. I mean, they, well, I do know, but. It, this was the first time uh, the five presidents had ever been together in one place. And uh, uh, George Bush was the president, and uh, he had been Reagan's vice president. Uh, Reagan beat Carter, Carter beat Ford, and Ford replaced Nixon. This is a, an amazing personal moment for me because my coverage really started with Richard Nixon in terms of spending time with him and obviously being with... Uh, uh, Gerald Ford and all that. And and this is like a Mount Rushmore picture. It's like living, it's living Mount Rushmore. And, and I didn't, there, there are other elements here uh, in play. For instance, when they can, this is at the Ronald Reagan Library dedication here out in Simi Valley. And um, so they came walking out and there, there were the, the standard picture was of them from the front, but I don't, I didn't want to do the standard picture. So I got off to the side and hoped that there would be some way that this was going to come together. And when Ronald Reagan looked over, that was the moment. 
and that's his library opening. And uh, it was just me and maybe a couple other guys over on the side. And that was the moment. I nailed that one. I And this is a black and white picture. This is a pre-digital, taken 1991. But it's like you it's knew history. it. It's history right there. I mean, this is like a living Mount Rushmore picture. And it's one of my favorites and, and uh, because it's so personal to me and my career at that point. It's almost like President Reagan knew that he was giving you the moment. Like he's looking right at the camera while everybody else uh, he, is looking straight ahead. Yeah, he was a definite showman. And, and that, I think that was one of the first times that Richard Nixon appeared after he had resigned as president. Uh, he'd been out a little bit, but not much. So the fact that he showed up to honor Reagan was a big deal for this occasion. Who's the most shy president you've ever photographed? Oh, it'd have to be Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> I just got to say, I'm not believing you. <laughs> yeah, really? No, don't believe that. <clears throat> I don't think shyness is an attribute that you're going to get with many Let presidents. Let me ask a different question. Who is, which president is that an attribute? disliked it, disliked being photographed the most? Uh, I would put Carter right up there. Yeah, for sure. He wasn't into He it. didn't have a personal photographer because he felt that, uh, so when I was a president's photographer, I had quite a bit of press. Uh, it was only the third civilian uh, person to have that job, LBJ's guy, uh, Nixon, and then me. And <clears throat> I had quite a bit of attention. I was young. I was a bachelor. I was dating Candace Bergen. You know, what? What more could a guy want, right? Um, you dated Murphy Brown? Yeah. Before she was Murphy Brown, I think, at that point. 1975. Wow. Uh, but, I mean, I was having... I wasn't trying to be like a celebrity, but I was getting a lot of attention. And and I remember then when Carter became president, his press secretary was Jody Powell, was asked, um, who's going to be the new White House photographer? And he said, we're not going to do one. We don't want another David Kennerly in the White House. <laughs> I took that as an extreme compliment. Uh, but... Uh, it, which is too bad. And so when you look at the um, um, the work done, like from LBJ through now, uh, uh, Carter's uh, had photographers, but not a principal who was in the room all the time, like I was with Ford. Um, and that, so history suffered. History suffered because of Why that. Why do you think he said that? He just didn't want to be uh, as documented. He didn't want to be watched as often. Uh, he wasn't no. comfortable with the cameras. Because you were it could, around. It could have been all of the above. But I, I think also, I think he felt that uh, that was part of the imperial presidency. Uh, if you, There were pictures of him carrying his own bags. I mean, he wanted to be the anti-Nixon, basically, Ford. Being just a, a he minor wanted to player. be a normal guy who was running the country from the White House, and he was a you know I like Jimmy Carter by the way I didn't like him at all back then but I've grown to like him a lot I think he's a man of incredible integrity and uh, he and President Ford uh, had this amazing relationship afterwards where uh, they even though Ford was defeated by him it was the closest election. Uh, I think ever up until the Bush Gore uh, situation, they 
ended up hitting it off and became very close and would do things for each other, for their libraries and all that. And uh, like nobody disinvited Jimmy Carter to uh, a funeral. He, know, he got all he got all, just to use an example. Yeah. Speaking of circuses, let's go back to politics for a moment. When you think about the state of our politics now, they're so divided. It seems that people uh, can actually even be get in trouble with their partisans if they make overtures to the other side or try to work with folks on the other side. You uh, took these shots of then Vice President uh, Bush and Speaker of the House Tip O'Neill. It's, uh, it's at President Reagan's State of the Union. And they're like laughing and giggling. It was a 1983 State of the Union inside the House um, uh, chambers. So it's a, a joint session of Congress. And before the President Reagan came into the room, uh, Tip O'Neill and, and and George W. Bush are yucking it up. And I never, I, I I really wish I would have asked Bush at one point or O'Neill what it was they were talking about because they absolutely, they enjoyed each other. It, whatever it was, it was really funny. And then when the, the Sergeant Arms came in and says, ladies and gentlemen, the president of the United States, both of them are like, oh, okay, we got it, we got it, like bad boys. It's like right? they were bad kids in the back yeah, of the class, a, and the teacher to, like, came in. Be serious after that, and the sequence really makes it, and it, it does go to, you could be again, uh, Tip O'Neill, the Democrat Speaker of the House, and uh, the Republican Vice President, absolutely getting along. Uh, and that was true with Reagan and O'Neill. They got so much accomplished, they revamped the Social Security uh, process, which you could not do unless uh, somebody, everybody got something out of it and had to give up something. Uh, in this case, there were two old Irishmen like uh, horse trading. But O'Neill and uh, 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 Reagan were genuinely friendly with each other, as were... Uh, Gerald R. Ford and Tip O'Neill, they'd been in Congress together forever, and they would kick each other around politically during the week and play golf on the weekends. They would never, ever say anything bad about the other, uh, the other ever. Well, and then you... Or demeaning. I mean, what goes on now is just well, beyond the pale. And you had a similar kind of collaboration between the late Senator John McCain and Senator Kerry. Why is, do you think, I mean, you've watched and witnessed so many political relationships over the years. Um, you've seen political adversaries be adversaries and then play golf on the weekend. Uh, why does this moment feel different if you do think it's different? You mean between Kerry and McCain? Well, so I'm just using, <clears throat> uh, I'm using Kerry and McCain oh, as, a, as another example. Well, also with Kerry and McCain, they're both Vietnam vets. Uh, again, John Kerry would be the first to admit that he didn't come anywhere near, uh, have anywhere near the experience that McCain did being a prisoner of war for over five and a half years. And, uh, and by the way, McCain forgave his captors. He went there, and uh, he suffered like unknowable uh, uh, agony. And the fact he could step back up to it, and so the, everything. I, I think the day that uh, when I don't remember when, but it, my, I think it was 2015 when 
Donald Trump said uh, uh, he, he preferred people that weren't captured. That was probably the single worst thing I've ever heard him say to this day. Because here's a man who was riding around in daddy's limo in New York City while John McCain is suffering in a, a prisoner of war camp in, in a cell. Uh, and I visited that place. And you wouldn't want to be there for 20 minutes. And But that really kind of set the tone then for what's happened since. And I can't even conceive of that. And, and yet, and he resents John McCain in death. And because, uh, uh, so that's just who he is. That's who John McCain was as a, the exact opposite kind of a person. And you look at an image like those two senators who were joined by a shared experience who somehow used that to be able to communicate uh, through times when they were clearly on opposite sides of and things. And mutual respect. And, and, and respect is sort of the magic word that's missing these days. Um, that I, I don't understand this, by the way. I have, I have a kid was brought up in a little town in Oregon. And uh, the first politician I really knew about was Mark Hatfield, who was governor, and then he became senator. He would be unelectable now. Uh, he was a moderate to liberal Republican. Uh, but when it harkens back to Gerald Ford, who said you can disagree without being disagreeable, that's missing. That is MIA now. And um, uh, it is profoundly sad to me. It makes me angry. I also think I, I, I want to burn my Twitter account because <laughs> Twitter just enhances any negative feelings that you have. And, you, and then you put them out there. Well, that's why we need you, because sometimes 140 characters is not going to tell the whole story. You need an it image doesn't tell to story. tell the story. You know, what it does is it concisely focuses people's negativity into a, a little horrid capsule that they put out into the world on a minute-by-minute -minute basis. And I don't know where, and when it first came out, I understood that, uh, and I knew a lot of news people doing it, they're at an event and they're kind of, tweeting this is going on so you could kind of get a running event but it, it's just it's like mainlining venom now that's that's what it is well speaking of venom and division uh 1968 you captured the protests at san francisco state university i'm looking at an image then college of san francisco state college <laughs> yeah, at the yeah. time um i'm looking at an image of two police officers, one with his weapon drawn on a crowd of people through an open door. Uh, can we go to the next slide? Another slide of a protester who's bloodied up. I mean, he's got blood dripping down his face. He's being escorted by a cop. I know we're divided now, but when I look at images like this, it reminds me that we've always been pretty bad. I mean, there have always been moments where we've been at each other's throats, don't you think? Yep. And you think, think now it's is a worse? natural human thing. Yeah, <laughs> I think it <laughs> is too. It's like how do you, how do you control those? And, and having lived through all that, I mean, particularly, um, I graduated from high school in '65, and so the anti-war thing, because Vietnam was really just kicking in then, uh, didn't get really ginned up until about. Then, and this actual event had something to do, it 
there was certainly a part of the anti-war uh, issue, but it also had to do with issues about San Francisco, San Francisco State College when S.I. Hayakawa took over, who then became the senator, U.S. senator. He was a conservative uh, guy. But you can see it. I mean, as a news photographer, I got beat up by the cops. I got thrown uh, rocks. Uh, uh, I, I would. I didn't want to say stone, but uh, you <laughs> like had rocks. Demonstrators running. would. Everybody didn't like the press. I mean, it's kind of similar to now. The cops didn't like you taking the pictures of them, beat the crap out of students, and the students were. Uh, you were nobody's favorite. Nope. <laughs> uh, equal opportunity. You've captured some really divisive moments in history that might kind of lead some of us to think that, you know, sometimes it's easy to say we're worse off than we ever used to be. You've been taking pictures for 50 years. So I want to talk to you about that. I don't think we're worse off than we were in the Civil War. No, well, so, that's I a mean, low when, bar. When you talk about worse off, <laughs> that's I mean, a low things bar. aren't that great now, but it will change if it's some point. I mean, I'm yeah. free. That's better. That's <laughs> yeah. a start. But, you know, that's a, a low start. bar. We can yeah. expect more. Right. You took a picture of Mitt Romney on his campaign bus. His arms were crossed. He was looking down. He seemed really pensive. Did he know you were there? Well, I was sitting right across from him on the bus. <laughs> well, I didn't <laughs> know if it was, was totally a, a Zoom. I didn't know if it well, was I, a white. No, what was, what, do you know what was happening in this picture? I think he was probably thinking, uh, do I want a chocolate milkshake or a <laughs> strawberry milkshake for lunch? He had just announced that he was running. And I, uh, he very well could have been thinking about, oh, my gosh, you know, what Am do I, I have sure? to do? Did I really want to yeah. do this? Like, uh, it's such a, an ordeal to do that. Um, but the trick for what I do is having a comfort level with people who will just let you be there without uh, and forgetting that you're there taking pictures. And I think that was a really good example of it. I, By the way, I asked uh, Mitt Romney and I are like three days apart in age. He was he's three days younger than I am. And uh, I told him that. And. I said, but there's something that's really, really the big difference between you and me. He goes, yeah. <laughs> I said, well, you're a tribute to clean living, and I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's so why. We're, we're both, uh, you know, we're both still hanging in there. Okay, now we've got Steve Bannon. The evil emperor. I didn't say it. You said I it. Said I didn't it. say yeah, it, yeah, yeah. but I'm thinking it. I... It looks like behind he's, Trump's curtain. Yeah, it looks like you're shooting him from behind a curtain. Now it does not look like he knows you're there. It looks like you're shooting between. So this was a secret shot. Do you know what yeah, he was up to? I do. That was at a. Uh, it was at a Trump event during the campaign 2016. He was just off stage, and I I saw him kind of through the curtain, and uh, like the Wizard of Oz, and. Uh, Checking his, is that what uh, we're calling him now, the Wizard of Oz? I don't know. Did I did the so pier. after you shot the picture? Did he look up? No, did he didn't. Oh. I was shooting with a um, kind of a moderately long lens, so I, he never would have seen me taking that picture. He's deep. So into that's his not phone. like exactly being like right here with you and me, like or in the Oval Office uh, where I worked with impunity during the Ford time. But um, uh, I really like that picture because. That has a lot. He was one of the key players behind the whole Trump uh, phenomenon. Did you ever meet him? Yeah, yeah, I've talked. What's to him. he like? 
I think he's kind of funny. I, I liked him uh, just uh, personally. You know, I kind of look at people because I, I have a lot of friends that a lot of, uh, like, depending on what side of the fence you're on, like Pat Leahy's a good friend uh, as an amateur photographer, actually quite a talented photographer. And um, uh, so on one side, you got Leahy. On the other side, you have Rumsfeld and Cheney, two names I can't mention in Santa Monica. <laughs> you know, <laughs> But these are people I've just known for years and worked with and remained friends with. And I think what the, the, the trick to that is not really going political and just keeping personal relationships on a personal level. And uh, uh, I've been pretty good at that. Even I certainly have my own points of view. Again, going back to Twitter, uh, if you really want to know what I think, sometimes just look on there. But what what I don't do is make personal attacks on people. But I do, I'm pretty, you know, I get pretty spun up about things going on that I just feel are bad. We're all still human. I mean, it's only natural that we're going to have a personal reaction to things. But, but, it yeah, but mean do you need you... to put it out there all the time? This is my dilemma right now. I have honestly, I was thinking if I just pulled the plug on Twitter right now, I'd probably feel better. I like Instagram where I mainly just put up my photos of stuff I shoot every day. Facebook is, uh, there are three different worlds, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Instagram's probably, if I only had one, I would take Instagram just because it's more for me and my colleagues. It's where we'll put up pictures. Uh, it's more picture oriented. It's less politically oriented. Although it, it can be, certainly. And, and, and certainly when you're capturing moments, political moments, you don't want someone to think that your perspective is influencing what it is you're shooting. Because you've captured images from three impeachments. Uh, I'm now looking at a picture of a young Hillary Rodham Clinton. I guess she was... She, no, was she, not, was, she was still Hillary she Rodham. She had not been married. She was still Hillary point, Rodham. Right? She was a counsel. To, she was on the staff of the special counsel at the House Judiciary Committee when they were uh, during the Watergate hearings. Well, during the impeachment hearings of Nixon. In fact, she's standing. Oh, next right to after her. Watergate, when the the House was considering the articles of impeachment, right, she was actually, on the staff. Yes, and so she's standing next to John Doerr who was one of the really great lawyers of all time. It was a Republican lawyer, but he was a great civil rights lawyer. And he was the chief counsel to Peter Rodino's uh, Judiciary Committee. And on that committee was like Bill Cohen and Father Drinan on, on the uh, Bill was a, a, a Republican. And they did drop the articles of impeachment, but it never got to the House floor. Nixon resigned Nixon ahead resigned. of that. Right. And way uh, long before that, next slide, Nixon's vice president, Spiro Agnew, resigned. And you photographed then Vice President Ford for the cover of Time magazine, looking at your Time magazine cover. Although it wasn't known when I took his picture, he'd be on the cover of Time because even he hadn't been asked by Nixon yet to be to replace uh, Spiro Agnew, who had resigned as vice president, I'd photographed Ford, um, I think, at the White House. They used to have what they called the Ev and, and Jerry show, Everett Dirksen, Senator Everett Dirksen and, and uh, uh, Jerry Ford. They were both uh, the minority side of the House, on the Senate House. But I'd never talked to him. But that was the first time that I had a personal interaction with uh, Ford. 
And they announced the next day that uh, uh, Minority Leader Ford would be the running mate. Or not the running mate, the vice president vice to replace president. Agnew. That picture ended up on the cover of Time. It was my first time cover. It was Ford's first time cover. And then I started uh, following him around for Time magazine, which is where I got to be friends with him. And then we come to impeachment number two, uh, President Clinton's impeachment. When I worked at the Justice Department, I worked on the Clinton v. Jones case. And we were representing the office of the president as opposed to President Clinton's personal lawyers. And we were advancing the proposition that a sitting president shouldn't have to sit for deposition while he's president because he's so busy. Right. Uh, the Supreme Court rejected that 9-0. And uh, President Clinton had his deposition. Deposition didn't go well. He said some stuff. Here he is uh, in the Rose Garden with his supporters following his impeachment by the House. That's what, right. What did that and, feel now, like now, just, at that time? Uh, look in the far right of that picture. Guess who's back there? Is that Bernie Sanders? Yes. He looks the same. Exactly. He's like He zelling. looks the same. He's, he's everywhere. So, you know, I was I looked at this earlier and I was like, gosh, that looks like Bernie Sanders. But it was so long ago. And on the left look... is a Kennedy. It's a, is it Patrick Kennedy? He was a congressman. Yeah. See, he looks like right. the age he should have been then. Bernie Sanders looks exactly the same. Right. And that's 1999. 90... Uh, right. 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 And then next Well, actually, it could have been 98 at the end. Fast forward, this is Gordon Sondland. Impeachment uh, number three, the Trump impeachment. (laughs) I have a hat trick of impeachment. (laughs) You're a hockey fan or an impeachment fan. And Uh, so we've got, you've got this shot of Gordon Sondland uh, at the table. The barrage of photographers. Barrage of photographers. Now, when you're shooting somebody who is being shot by so many people, does that... Or photographed. (laughs) <laughs> maybe photograph. I'm really That's careful better. what I say anymore. Yeah, yeah. No, we don't want we don't want any ambiguity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you're photographing somebody who's got so many cameras pointed at them, are there different things that you're trying to capture? Are you trying to get something that the other folks aren't seeing? Well, what I'm going for here is just the the what you're seeing. It's like all of the uh, the the people doing video and still photos and all that, that this is kind of like the point of view of the person uh, who has to face all that. And uh, it's pretty overwhelming, really. You got pretty close to him. Let's look at the next two. When you're... Yeah, that's better because you can see more of his face, like uh, where he's turning a little bit. Now, I'm waiting for that to happen. So here's the one where he's kind of got his head in his hands. Got a nice watch. He's got a really got a millionaire's nice watch. watch on. He's got monogram <laughs> sleeves. He's got yep. mono. He's uh, all right. Good suit. Good watch. But did was there a, a, a tangible feeling of nervousness or tension as you're taking this picture? Because he doesn't. No, no. He, looks, he so a I know him. Yeah, uh, uh, he's from Portland, Oregon. Uh, he's a big hotel guy, which is I think one of the reasons Trump probably got along with him. I mean, they're both in the hotel business. Uh, where uh, Gordon had to earn his way into it. Uh, but uh, um, he bought a, a several hundred of my photographs to furnish, uh, to uh, uh, decorate one of his hotels in Portland called the Lucia Hotel. And every room, every hallway has my photographs that I've taken, uh, mainly political pictures, but both sides of the fence. And it got a, uh, 
in fact, they had a really good campaign because there were pictures of Nixon and all that. Said you could sleep with Richard Nixon at the Lucia Hotel, which I thought was funny. You know, and, and uh, uh, this goes back maybe 15 years ago. I can't remember exactly, but a long time ago. So that's when I got to know him. And it was a clever idea to have these kind of pictures at a hotel. And I stay there frequently. And when you walk through the corridors, it's almost like every floor is like a little art gallery. People stop and look at the pictures. I mean, how often have you done that in a hotel? Usually you're staying at the W in New York, and you have all these pictures of New York on the wall. Like, well, you can see that when you walk out the door. You know, so this was, it was a good idea. And that's how I got to know Gordon. And uh, so when he got called in to testify, I wanted to be there. That's <coughs> impeachments that you've covered. Uh, how were they different? And I, I'm not talking about the substantive allegations. Uh, the allegations obviously are all very different. But was the energy in the room different? Was there, is there, was, is there something tangible that you can describe that felt different between these between these three impeachments? Well, with Nixon, 1974, and so um, I you know, I, I hadn't been back from Vietnam that long, but it was obviously a huge, weighty moment with all of that going on. And uh, uh, with the Watergate hearings, and I covered some of those. So I came back, uh, when I got back from Vietnam, it was um, mid-73, but that's when the whole Agnew thing was going on. <clears throat> and But with Clinton... The the big moment was, I think, when Ken Starr testified. And I was in the room. And, and what was really interesting about that is if you look at the picture of, of Ken Starr being sworn in, off to the right is Brett Kavanaugh, <laughs> who was working with him. And I have pictures of Ken Starr as the special prosecutor. The Center for Creative Photography at the University of Arizona houses your archive. Uh, and the archive will be is open and accessible for people to see uh, so they can witness these images for themselves. Why do you think that it's so important that we have a photographic record of history? Well, in the in the case of the Center for Creative Photography, which is in Tucson, which is a little off the beaten track, but it's also the home of the Ansel Adams Archive, Richard Avedon, um, Edward Weston, several a lot of really great photographers, but something that nobody thinks about it. And, and I was at a phot photographer's breakfast the other day in, uh, here in town. And I pointed out to these photographers that we have a lot of pictures published over the years, but it's probably 0.01% of what we shoot. Hmm. And if you think about that, like who else is in the room? <clears throat> like there's a, like there'll be a key image of somebody, and that's the photo that's used. Maybe one or two pictures get used out of a big day of uh, Gordon Sondland testifying. But what about all these other pictures? And when I found the picture, perfect example is Hillary Rodham standing next to John Doerr. Hillary wasn't the story, but then if you go forward to that same room. Bill Clinton is being in, uh, 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 impeached, or at least the articles of impeachment are being drawn up in that very same room. So I went back and found my pictures of Hillary uh, as a young lawyer. And um, uh, that was really a big moment for me, but that happens all the time. So what's going to happen that 
it, you'll figure out who else was in the room. Like when you look through a certain take of a day's work, most of which wasn't published, you learn things you didn't know. The mood, uh, like, oh, my gosh, there's Brett Kavanaugh in the background, like uh, as a young lawyer uh, working for Ken Starr. Uh, on and on and on. It just I think it just helps tie... Uh, things together visually, it gives you a better sense of what's going on. And, and when you talk about um, history and documenting a presidency, look at the Okamoto photos that uh, 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 who was LBJ's personal photographer, uh, like the best photographer ever in in my end of that business. He was there for the bombing halt. He was there when Martin Luther King was killed. You felt the tension in the room. He was the first person to take you into a meeting with Martin Luther King and uh, LBJ, like right there. And like he was a fly on the wall. He had well, that's like you. You've been a fly on the wall. But he was the, he started moments. it. He was really the person who. Uh, put the exclamation point on being a White House photographer. And LBJ gave him the access. Without that, you got nothing. But he was discreet. He was, but he was in the room. You really had the feeling of being in there. There's a great photo. Uh, I don't think I've even seen it published, but I, 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 um, I produced a um, uh, series on White House Chief of Staff for Discovery. It was a four-hour show. Everyone from uh, LBJ's guy all the way through to uh, Obama's uh, Chief of Staff, Dennis McDonough. But I went to every presidential library, and I got to look at what all my um, contemporaries had done. And I I found a picture in uh, the LBJ library of, of RFK, who was the attorney general in the in the cabinet room, in the background, and LBJ sitting there and his hands kind of over the the couch or over the chair, and he's looking like he, he wished he wasn't in the room with RFK. But these pictures are astonishing, and, and it really gives honest. you a sense of it. Oh my gosh! And then to uh, Nixon's guy, uh, Ollie Atkins who just had very little access. And when I looked through his archive, it was like a photographic disaster area. He just didn't have the access, maybe in for a couple shots at the top of some meeting. But uh, And I was looking mainly, what I was looking for were the chiefs of staff, like, uh, well, it was H.R. Haldeman, uh, then Al Haig, but uh, mainly Haldeman and but there was there were just big gaps where they he wasn't led in any of the important meetings. And so then they, I was the third one that came along. So and when the photographer's not there to capture the moment, then we've like got a, a big hole. Fall. It's we, like a tree falling in the woods. We, you capture the shot of the Obamas uh, in an elevator. This on is one of my top five night. of all. This time. is a great. Have, have you ever seen them kiss? Did you ever sneak up on them kissing? Not the way they looked Gore like they kissed were about his wife to kiss. at the convention, which was like... That a, was a big kiss. I remember that. It was that. one that we all would like to forget. <laughs> but, uh, you know, can't unsee that moment. I This is in the elevator at the Washington Convention Center the night of the inauguration, and there were 10 inaugural balls. And uh, the only three photographers in there were Pete Souza, who went on to be, was President Obama's... Uh, 
<clears throat> Chief White House Photographer and Callie Shell, who was working for Time, who had been close with the Obamas. So we all have kind of a variation of this photo. We were standing nearby. But it was... Um, it's a sweet photo. It's a genuine moment. It's like uh, complimented by the fact that she's wearing his uh, jacket. coat. It's, like a, his it's jacket. like a high school prom yeah. picture, the gallant young man is uh, uh, helping out his uh, chilly date. But it was genuine. I mean, you could see it. And out of all the pictures that Susan's taken over the years, and there were a lot of great photos of the Obamas, hard to beat that one. So then we come ahead <clears throat> to the 2016 election, which some might say, I don't know if I buy this, but I think that there's a school of thought that that, at least in recent memory, cemented our divisions. Uh, you were at the GOP convention. Uh, you took this picture. Of you may now, not be alone in that. You took this uh, picture mm-hmm. of now President Trump, uh, I guess, high-fiving son-in-law Jared Kushner as they walk out onto the stage. Uh, you shot Hillary Clinton at the DNC convention, looking excited and jubilant. So you were there. You were at the GOP convention, you were at the Democratic convention. Uh, did they feel different? I mean, you're our eyes, if not our ears. Were, were there any differences in the energy and the crowd and uh, what people were expressing? How did they feel different? Well, I went from the first, uh, the first one was Cleveland. The Republican convention was in Cleveland. And there it, you have the, the Donald Trump show. He obviously got the... Uh, nomination and uh it was a big mega rally you know make america great again america first again um the high five moment probably was the best picture out of that whole thing and uh again i mean you're there with all these other photographers but it's it was sort of like the equivalent of the alley fraser fight to a degree they come out doesn't last very long, but they're such key players. The family is so important with Trump. I mean, and uh, so there you have Ivanka and Jared, and they're both part of the administration as well as relatives. <clears throat> Melania on the right, and then their son, uh, uh, Baron, on the, uh, next to her. It looks and like that's he like a got caught in the flash. Like, we did it. That kind of sums it up to me. And that, But there are a lot of good pictures out of that whole thing. And then you go to the Democrat convention and uh, Democratic convention, and here's the first woman to become the nominee of a major political party or the political party, uh, any political party in the uh, United States. And this is right after she gave her speech. Uh, I was right in front of the podium there. And uh, the hopes of the Democrats, it really was a whole different vibe, a whole different feeling. Of course. I mean, it showed the difference between the Democrats and the Republicans, what they want, uh, what the dreams and hopes were. The Clinton-Trump debates had some interesting visuals, didn't they? There was one, I remember, where he was kind of skulking in the background on the stage around her as she was talking. She subsequently said she couldn't say anything because if she's complained about it or made noise about it. They come after her for that. Yeah, they call her a complaining, hysterical woman, not saying anything about it. Uh, Some say put her at a different type of disadvantage. What was that debate like? Did it feel as tense as it looked? I can't. You know, honestly, I was in uh, 
all of them, and I can't remember um, because they all have the same set. They when blur. I look at this picture, I'm not sure which one was which. They were in three different cities, uh, but there it is. I mean, he's pointing at her, and uh, uh, well, I again, you being in the room at these things. I was the last one. I was at the Democrat debate over at Loyola. Here it was the first time I've seen them all together. And um, I was pretty impressed with that group, but there's nothing like being in the uh, in the room because you the way you see it, it's on TV. So that that you may not have ever seen that moment of him pointing at right at Trump pointing at Mrs. Clinton. Well, and you've been following the Democrats around. We have a great shot That's of some of the Democrats picture, the on the stage. You took this with your iPhone. Yeah. They're all looking pretty serious. Andrew Yang is hamming it up. Um, is there often a candidate who likes to play around with the media? Not like him. <laughs> I, was like, I was pretty impressed. He made the photo. This is a perfect example of like kind of a, I mean, you've got, uh, you know, Andrew Yang on the left, Buttigieg, Elizabeth Warren, uh, uh, Biden, like Biden. looking pretty you know, statesmanlike and Bernie trying to look in the same way he did in the Clinton impeachment picture. Uh, right, right. Amy it, Klobuchar and uh, Tom Steyer, who needs a charisma implant. <laughs> but uh, I, I think, but it's interesting that all these people came across really well to be. This is the first time I've seen them together, and I had a great seat. I was right like three rows back, and I didn't have a photo pass, so I couldn't bring my cameras in. So I just used my iPhone which uh, is a perfect example of uh, it's all about uh, the eye, not the camera. You did and, that with your iPhone. Yeah, I did a whole book on iPhone. So, you know, you and I are... I mean, face- it's a camera. I mean, bottom line. We're Facebook friends, and so I sometimes would go on my Facebook, and I'd see these I great pictures. You yet? No, you haven't unfriended me. I hope you don't <laughs> Maybe I will me now after this. After this. <laughs> they, um, you... How you have all these great iPhone shots, and I'm like, oh, maybe I can do that, and it never works out. It doesn't work out. I think it's just how again, it's because you're it's a photographer. A, it's a tool. It's a tool. It's like I know how to use. I would have preferred having my grown-up cameras, uh, which are Canons, but I, I don't. Anyway, it was. I love seeing all these people together. There's a great point of, of of being able to see the the players. And they're going to be winnowing down Cory Booker today. Cory Booker left, just dropped and, out. Uh, 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 so I don't know if Andrew, Andrew Yang's going to be on the stage for the next I don't know, but he looks like he's having a good time. Uh, David, I had a great time. You've really just honored me with these stories, with your time. Uh, it is so important that you continue to document what is happening so that people won't forget it. Um, I would encourage everybody to go to David's website, Kennerly, K-E-N-N-E-R-L-Y.com. Uh, you can look at his portfolio of images. Uh, the archive is at the Center for Creative Photography at the University of Arizona. He's going to keep history alive so we don't forget stuff. David, thank you so much for joining me today. It's really been an honor. So much fun. It was fun. I hope you had a good time. Okay, I won't unfriend you on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. <laughs> 
Thank you for joining me in part three of my conversation with David Kennerly. Don't forget to go to my website, tanyaackershow.com, so you can see our interview. You should also go to David's website at kennerly.com and see more of his work. His archive is being housed at the Center for Creative Photography at the University of Arizona. So if you have the chance to check it out, you really should. Thank you so much for joining me, and I'll see you real soon. Take care. The Tanya Acker Show is written and executive produced by me. My editor is Rich Marchuka. My composer is Cole Mitchell. My production assistant is Rachel Robillard. And my interview with David Kennerly was recorded at the Network Studios in Culver City, California. 